you know, when we're starting a business, often one of the things that gets overlooked is culture. It's not really something that a lot of people put thought into, especially as an entrepreneur, when you're just struggling to get your business off the ground, culture is usually way down on the list, but it's super important. Along with leadership, uh, I would say culture and leadership, probably the two most important things in growing a thriving and long lasting organization, right? Or business. And that's why I'm so excited to have our guest today. He's Dan Cockerell, he's the former vice president of Disney's Magic Kingdom, and he's the author of the book, How's the Culture in Your Kingdom? Lessons from a Disney Leadership Journey. And uh, Dan, not only is he a super nice guy, but his thoughts and input on leadership and culture and viewing executives almost like an athlete, which I thought was super eye-opening, you're going to love them. And in this episode, we talk about how Dan started off parking cars at Disney and then worked his way all the way up to vice president of Disney's Magic Kingdom, where he oversaw 12,000 cast members and over 20 million guests. It's an amazing story. The lessons he's learned are unbelievable. And I know you can apply them to whatever stage you're in right now. So grab a cool drink, sit back, Enjoy Dan Cockerell on this episode of What's the Secret Podcast. Tired of being at the mercy of your job? Tired of watching your hard work fill someone else's bank account? Want control of your time and lifestyle? Well, if you want the real secrets, the gurus won't tell you of how ordinary people just like you and me can create thriving businesses that deliver financial and lifestyle freedom you're in the right place. Aloha. My name's Tom Gaddis, and welcome to What's the Secret Podcast. All right. Aloha, Dan, and welcome to What's the Secret Podcast. How you doing, man? Good, Tom. How's uh, Hawaii these days? It's uh, We're hanging in there. I'm actually yeah. getting ready to head out for a little uh, quick jaunt over to Vegas here soon, but blue skies, white clouds, you know, I think I feel like I say it every episode. It's not a, it hasn't been a bad place to uh, be during the current situation. Yeah. I'd question the quick jaunt from anywhere from Hawaii, but you <laughs> yeah. Know. Yeah. I, well, Cal, the California, Nevada is about the fastest you can get anywhere, right? Like everything else is a trek. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. It's, it has been, you know, really interesting though to, um, the whole tourism thing here has just, you know, it's like broken my heart watching the, you know, no tourists coming in and a lot of these businesses in the area that have been here for a long time are just, I mean, they're closing down, they're not coming back. Right. And so, um, yeah, it's been, uh, you know, it's something I'm, I'm hoping we can rebound out of. They're supposed to be opening up tourism here pretty soon. So that should be good. good. But yeah, but I'm actually excited to talk to you on the podcast today because I know we're going to cover some topics uh, that relate to that and how businesses can have some durability, right? How they can hang in there, how they can stick it out, even in the tough times. Yeah. Um, one one of the things I kind of wanted to uh, start with though, and oh, so just so our listeners know, uh, Dan also has a great book out um, and it's called, uh, How's the Culture in Your Kingdom? And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about some of the topics from there and and a few other things. So you haven't picked up the book, you should definitely go do that. And uh, Dan, we can give them a link at the end of the show. Great. Show notes as well. So, 
So let's talk a little bit about, I think when we, you know, when you think about managing an organization, most people think about managing other people, right? But I always feel like there's a first step to that. And that is like getting control of yourself. Right. right? Very hard to manage other people and you're not in control of yourself. So yep. maybe you could um, talk a little bit about that from your aspect, from, you know, being the sure. VP at the Magic Kingdom. Like what were those things that, that really kind of made it click in place for you? Yeah. And it, I love that you brought that up because uh, my wife and I do lots of workshops and conferences and uh, whether this is a part of my speeches or conferences or not, I always bring it up. And, you know, I know I haven't, I haven't literally seen the eye rolls, but I know a lot of people are like, look, we know this, you're supposed to eat right. You're, and they almost say it in a sarcastic way. Like we know all that. It's like, well, okay, then why aren't you doing it? You know, and we're all guilty of that. So I was, you know, I grew up, um, as an athlete, I always played sports. And when I finally got to Disney and started working, I, I really realized the times I was really the most content and the happiest is when I had all aspects of my life hitting on all cylinders. I had good relationships with my family. I was fit. I was working out. I felt good about myself. I was getting enough sleep. Work was, you know, going well. Um, and so that was, um, and, and I realized that was the beginning point. If, and like athletes, if you don't take care of yourself, you never hear about athletes saying, yeah, I don't work out, but I still play a great game. Or, you know, I only sleep four hours a night before a big match. Or, you know, I don't really hydrate. I probably should more. No, they, they think about everything. They take about themselves physically. They train. They practice. Um, they have psychologists to help them visualize, um, you know, performing. And uh, I don't know why we wouldn't approach that in the business world, because I, what I saw was, um, you know, I think we have the same stresses or even more stresses than professional athletes, maybe not physically, but we have much less time to train. We have much less downtime and we have to deal with stress every day. We have to deal with anxiety. We have to deal with people, problem solving. And so when I wrote the book, um, we had a whole first section on leading self and it's in um, um, four big sections, you know, your physical health, uh, your mental health, your, um, you know, emotional intelligence, dealing with stress, um, your, your uh, moral health. Do you understand what your values are? And once you understand what your values are, looking at what you actually do in your life to, um, to practice those values and the behaviors that come along with that. Um, a lot of people say, well, values, it's an intangible. I'm like, no, it's not. If your value is being generous, you should give money to people and help people a lot if, if that's really a value you have. So you can connect these values to actual behaviors. And a lot of times we have a gap. We think we have values, but then when you really look at how much time you actually spend doing these things, maybe they're not the values you thought they were. And then lastly, organizational fitness, just being organized. Um, and that causes so much stress in people's lives when they're always playing catch up. They're always running to the next meeting. Their, their life is sort of out of control. And they, you're just, you wake up every morning just not knowing what's coming next because you can't get your hands around that. And so once you can really start to take care of yourself physically, you can learn how to manage stress and handle it. You can figure out what you stand for and get organized. All of a sudden, lots of things get easier. You have a better relationship with your kids, your family, your spouse. Um, at work, you're under less stress, you can focus more. So for me, it's such a logical thing. And I always talk about it, but it, it, there's no magical formula. You just have to be disciplined to decide it's important to you. You know, that's so interesting that you say that because I never, I don't, I guess I just never really made that connection. Like, yeah, this entrepreneurship really is a high performance. It's a high performance game, right? right. And a lot of times the stakes, as far as you, the entrepreneur are concerned, are 
pretty big, right? A lot bigger than you'd see in a football game or some right. other kind of sport, right? And so, yeah, I, you know, I was very late. Um, one of the things I talk about a lot on the podcast is for me, entrepreneurship has really been a process of becoming. And I, you know, when I look back at my early self, I was not ready to be an entrepreneur, right? And have a successful business. But uh, as I started doing those things that you're talking about, it really shifted things for me, you know, and I started moving forward. And so for listeners that are out there and you think like, man, that sounds like a lot of work. That's because it is a lot of work, <laughs> right. right? But the rewards uh, are, are a super big payoff. So I would definitely go back, re-listen to that part and take some notes on what Dan was talking about there. Cause that was really great stuff. And Tom, something I know we talked about before we recorded was this concept of the corporate athlete that yeah. kind of caught your eye. So um, there's a, there's a, um, a, an organization in Lake Nona, Florida, which is right outside of Orlando called the human performance Institute. And uh, they, uh, the, the, I forget the gentleman's name who founded it, but he started out as a psychologist and he worked with uh, uh, professional tennis players and his whole thing was, how do you refocus your energy and your um, attention in between serves? And I think you have like 20 seconds or 25 seconds. How do you bring everything back together and get totally focused for that next serve? And as he developed that, he uh, started to get into the corporate world and figured that, you know, a lot of um, people who work need this training. And so you hear a lot of times people say, well, your career is a marathon. You know, you just got to admit. And he said, no, it's not a marathon. He says, it's a series of sprints. It's sprints and recovery, sprints and recovery. And that's what athletes do. They, they sprint, they have a big game and then you don't play the next day. You recover. And uh, I think what a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of corporate leaders, executives, most people in the world don't know how to recover. They know how to sprint, but they don't see the value of sitting back and just uh, recovering physically, mentally, uh, and having that downtime because it doesn't seem like it's productive time. And I've learned over time is I'm really, I'm ready to work really, really hard. And I've gotten really good at having total downtime and sleeping and relaxing and coming back even better. And, uh, you know, part of that is I worked in France for five years where you get five weeks of vacation starting from day one. There's like 14 bank holidays. So um, I learned there is I'm going to take all my vacation and I'm still going to get my job done. And I was, I was never the guy at Disney who was like not accumulating vacation anymore because I was so dedicated to work. I'm like, no, I'm going to take every day I'm going to have and I'm going to get away from it because when I come back, I'm going to be even better. Um, and a lot of entrepreneurs out there will say, well, that's nice, Dan, but I don't have time. I can't take one day off. You may not be able to, but you're going to pay the price. You're going to, your vision is going to be narrowed. You're not going to have a good um, uh, context or point of view on things. And it's just, it's not healthy, I think. No, I think that is is so true. And, you know, that is the message you hear in the entrepreneur space, right? Like, you got Gary Vaynerchuk out there. It's like work, 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 work 24-7. You got the grind, you know, and entrepreneurs almost wear it like a badge of honor, right? right. Like, oh, right. I can go harder than you. I can go longer than you. But right. so, so true, so important to take that time to just recharge and refocus. Um, you know, one thing that I'm curious about as well is so you, so you're the the VP at the Magic Kingdom, right? When you look back kind of at your career and how you got there, what kind of role, you know, was there any kind of like luck in that? Like what, where was, you know, it, how did that kind of look from your side? Yeah. You know, people have asked me that before is what, what is the difference between someone that gets to that position and someone who doesn't? And uh, 
there's a, I did a whole podcast on this a while ago, but first of all, um, the way I look at it is uh, the concept of the short list and not being on the short list. So at Disney, you know, I, I worked there for 26 years before I left in uh, 2018 and started to tr- figure out how to become an entrepreneur, which I'm still trying to figure out. But um, it's this idea that, okay, I'm going to go out, I'm going to be reliable. I'm going to have a great attitude. I'm going to go learn as much as I can. I'm going to learn how to deal with people. You know, you're going to, you're going to focus and try to get all the things you can right. Um, and once you do that, you are now in the mix with a whole bunch of other people who are doing the same thing. Um, then from there, it's how do you differentiate yourself? How do you start to realize what your strengths are and really focus on that and spend time doing the things you're naturally really good at? So, you know, I worked in human resources for a year at Disney. Um, it, it did not go well. I didn't like it. They didn't like me. It wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. I was supposed to be an operations leading teams. That's where I got my energy. And so every job I had, it was in operations and that's where I should be. And so I put myself in the right environment where I could be the most successful. Um, and then after that, there's a whole bunch of luck and chance and timing involved. And that's out of your control. So once you're on the short list, you're on a list of maybe five or 10 people um, who could do that job. Now, anyone, all 10 of those people can do the job. Now it's just a matter of what's your background? Uh, what, what are they looking for? What's the mix on the team? What, what kind of experience they're looking for? And now it's out of your hands. So um, to be able to say you can get all the way to the position just working is not true. Um, a lot of times it's going to take luck and timing. The only reason I got my my first promotion or my promotion to become vice president of Epcot, which was my first VP role, was because the Walt Disney Organization decided to roll out something called My Magic Plus, which is this billion dollar project. And the guy running the Epcot was assigned to be the leader of that project. And it, it created an opening. And when that opening was created, there was a group of people who were ready to be considered. And I got the nod in that case. So a lot of times the timing comes up. You can't control a lot of these things. You can just go out and do the best you can every day, find the jobs you're going to excel in, and then hopefully be in a company that's large enough and growing. And, you know, right now is probably not a good time to be looking for promotions because everyone's laying people off. So it's, there is, there is definitely um, luck and timing involved, but then there's a lot of hard work to even put yourself in a position to get lucky. Um. That's interesting to hear that from that, you know, cause I look at those corporate positions and I think just how does that, you know, how it's all a mystery to me, right? Like, and especially in an organization that big, how do you move up? This episode of what's the secret podcast is sponsored by offline sharks, offline sharks, where website designers, social media experts, SEO professionals can get custom software tools and training on how to quickly scale and grow their digital agencies. If you're looking to build reoccurring revenue into your agency and go from one to two clients to six figures and beyond, Offline Sharks is the place to do it. So head over to offlinesharks.com forward slash Tom and start growing your agency today. And you know, so once you got that position as the VP, so now you're, you're vice president there, you're managing a pretty big team, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like there's a lot of employees there. So sure. this is one thing I always wonder about. And maybe this didn't happen at Disney, but I know I've been involved in corporations where it seems like there's always those like one or two people on your team that just can't get their stuff done. Or they're just like, they're constantly like not performing at the level you need them to perform at. How do you keep your heads 
your head level and your interactions with them straight when you're dealing with people that aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah. I'll tell you, I was, uh, for many years, I was not good at that. I'm a positive guy. I like harmony. And, um, and when you go to a new job, it's not like a sports team. You don't clear the bench and rehire and build your new team. You inherit whoever's there. And sometimes you inherit a team that's really on top of it and sometimes not. And there's always going to be a couple of people that need, um, you know, improvement. So there's basically, when I was leading teams, there was five things that I always thought about every single day. Um, and I, a lot of these concepts I got from the Gallup organization. Uh, I went to um, um, Omaha back in like 1997 and, you know, Gallup does a lot of things around identifying talent and uh, strength finders and that kind of thing. And so there's, there's five things that I constantly looked at. One was, um, do I have the right people in the right jobs? That was a big one. Uh, once again, put yourself in jobs where you're going to be um, successful. You're going to use your, your talents and your passion in your job. And if you can do that, these jobs get a lot easier. Um, number two is build relationships with people. So even if they're not doing their job, people are doing their job, not doing their job. When you form a relationship with people, you take an interest in them, you learn about who they are, what their goals are. Um, the feedback gets a lot easier because they trust you, you trust them, and you can have very can con candid conversations. The hardest conversations I had with people was when I had to give them, you know, uh, critique their performance and I didn't really know them very well, you know, because part of it, feedback is giving it. The other part is them actually changing. You know, people forget that. They're like, oh, okay, I, get, I gave them the feedback. I've done my job. It's like, no, you haven't. You told them. Now you have to see if they're going to actually change. Um, and the next thing is uh, setting clear expectations for performance. And that's probably where we're hitting the mark here. Have you created really clear expectations of what acceptable looks like, what exceeds looks like? And you have to define that. And the hard thing is, you know, in sports, um, okay, you have to run a, a 40 yard dash in 4.7 seconds to be able to be a starter. Okay, it's easy to measure that. The problem is in business, you can't measure these things as well because you're measuring attitude, partnering, teamwork, problem solving. And so you really have to sit down and think about how, what is it I'm going to use behaviorally, not only the results, but what, what behaviors am I going to um, observe and rate your performance on? And I have to be clear about telling you that. So, um, for example, I, I gave my team a five-page memo when I worked with them. And I talked about, here's what development looks like for me. Here's what great communication looks like to me. I expect a one-page uh, uh, memo every Friday. And I wanted to say three things. Um, things you think I should know about your business that I may be held accountable for. Ideas you have of uh, things you're developing. And I want you to tell me all the great things you're doing I may not know about so you can get credit for them. And I want it every Friday. So, you know, six months into a job, someone sit down and say, well, how am I doing? I said, well, you're doing well here, here, and here, but you're not communicating very well. well. What do you mean? Well, let me go back to the thing I gave you the first week we worked together. I said, every Friday, I want information about these three things. And I only get it every other Friday. So you're failing in this area and it's a problem. And, and hopefully I'd give them you know, feedback already. So do you really know what you want? Uh, do you know what you want to have? That's a, that's the problem right now with remote work. Remote work is not the problem. The problem is companies don't trust their employees to work from home. And how can you not trust them? Well, they don't know what they expect. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to. And so they start putting uh, monitors on their computers. Well, we're going to see what time you logged in. Really? That's the performance metric you're going to use for your people is what time they log in their computer. I mean, the, how far can that be from, you know, being productive? So clear expectations. And I put in my book that memo and you can click on the link and, and see exactly what I put in there. Um, and then the next two, reward and recognize great performance and coach poor performance. When someone's not doing something right, your responsibility as a leader to tell them. 
And if you're not telling your people and giving them feedback, you're doing them a disservice because they can't get better if they don't know what's wrong just because you're afraid to talk to them about it. Um, so you have to have really tough conversations and they're not comfortable. And I had, you know, I had to get my courage up to have those conversations. But once again, I always led with building really strong relationships and setting crystal clear expectations. And when you do that, the performance conversations become a lot easier because you're not talking about a lot of subjective things. Um, and it's, uh, but it takes practice. It absolutely takes practice. Yeah, that's, that's awesome advice. <laughs> I mean, like I've been in those uncomfortable situations and it's uncomfortable. Right. I mean, there's yeah. no way to explain it, but once you get through them, you start to feel a little better and a little better. Yeah. And I've had, and I've learned over time, you know, I've sat down with people and said, Hey, can you come to my, they come in. I say, okay, first of all, I want to let you know that I'm, I'm going to be, I'm terminating you today, but I wanted you to bring in and tell you why, why, why that happened. And they would sit down and have that conversation. It's none of this sort of let's talk for 15 minutes and then find out. I mean, just get it out in the open. Hey, I want to tell you, I am, I'm, I'm officially documenting a performance issue today. I want to tell you why I'm doing it. I want to see if you have any questions and I want to make sure it's crystal clear what you need to do moving forward. Now they know what's going on. You set the stage. Now let's talk about the issue and not everyone agrees with you, but I don't, I can't control that. I used to think I could try to persuade them. I don't have to persuade them. I just got to tell them what I need them to change. And then now it's up to them to change. And what a lot of organizations do, well, I gave them the feedback. Now I'm going to try to sort of engage them and try to motivate them. Why would you motivate them? They, they know what the job is. You gave them the feedback. If you want to do their job, then go ahead and fire them and do both jobs. But, you know, at the end of the day, they got to come on board and make a change. So don't take, you can't take, a lot of times we take way more responsibility in changing people's performance than we should. I think we need to tell them what they need to change and then let them make that decision. I completely agree. And that strategy of just getting it away, getting it out of the way in the beginning is fantastic. Yeah. Like I never even thought of that. Like I'm always thinking of like, how can I say this in the easiest way? And like, just, yeah. just like be upfront and get it you out. Just of tell the way. them. And then you talk about the issue and it just, it saves a lot of uh, nervous conversation and not it, those don't end well when you kind of keep the suspense. That's great. Let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, leading, right? Um, so what would you, so if people are listening to this, right, maybe they don't really feel like they have those leadership qualities, right? What do you think are the big, the big points, the big uh, habits, characteristics that a person really needs to uh, work every day to develop if they want to be a good leader? Yeah, the, the, the thing I discovered, um, you know, because for years when you work, like as a frontline employee, it's all about you, the performance. You're responsible for yourself and that's about it. And then maybe you become a trainer and you, you're responsible for other people's performance. Then you become a manager and now you're indirectly responsible because now you have to lead a team of people who has to do a job. And then when you get promoted, you're leading someone who's leading a team of people who has to do a job. So what I've learned over time is the higher I got in the organization, the more I reminded myself and realized it was less and less about me and it was more and more about the people doing the job. Uh, and we get caught up in these trappings of success and we had the office and we have the, these various things. But when I was the Magic Kingdom, you get over 20 million guests a year visiting that park. There's 12,000 employees working there and I'm one person. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's not about my performance. It's about the 12,000 cast members who are interacting with the 20 million guests who are all deciding based on all those individual interactions, whether they're going to come back again. And intent to return and intent to recommend is the lifeblood of any business. You got to have people coming back 
and you have, have to have people talking about you in a positive way. So what I just realized over time is you as a leader, you have to absolutely, whatever your style is, take an interest in your people and see the job from their point of view, see if they have the tools they need to get the job done, hire the right people for those jobs, see if they understand what the, um, the expectations are, create clarity for those jobs, make sure you're listening and you respect them um, and they feel like they're valued. And if you can do those things, you've now created an environment, a culture that is going to be the, um, create the most possibilities for success. You're still going to have things go wrong no matter what you do. But if you can create that environment for people and then turn them loose, I've seen that work over time. Um, usually when we get under pressure and stress, we start micromanaging and it just spirals down. You know, the more you get under pressure, the more you go into meetings, want to know what's going on and get more information and people feel like you trust them less and it just goes the wrong way. So as a leader, if you can take an interest in uh, your people, some people are great at motivating teams. Some people are much better one-on-one. -on -one. This isn't a style question. It's a, um, if your leadership isn't translating to where your customer, your, your employee and your customer interacting, then you're really not getting anything done. Whether you're managing a call center, a hotel, a bakery, a, whatever it is, that's where people are judging your business is based on the, the that touch point. And um, a lot of organizations sort of look, think that the, the senior leaders like are the big, the big idea people. They don't get involved in the in minutia of the daily operation. That's where all the value is. That's where you're going to make your money. That's where you're going to sustain your business. And if you get bored with that, you're in trouble. So you better either be, in, be involved with it or hire someone who's going to be really involved with it. You have to love to be in that fray every day because that's, that's where the truth is. Well, you know, you said something in there too. You said, look, there's going to be mistakes. And that's something I want to touch on real quick here too, because I think a lot of times we get so wrapped up in the good parts of things and the success and, you know, uh, what, how do you, when those big mistakes happen, right? Like, how do you, how do you handle those? Yeah. So the first thing I, uh, someone taught me when I worked at Disney, I always thought was always assume good intent. And we don't always want to do that. Sometimes we want to assume bad intent. And, and that person was trying to do it on purpose. Very few, few people are trying to um, mess up your operation on purpose. They're not, that people don't want to make these mistakes. So assume good intent. Um, and then when those things happened, I would say to myself, all right, let's sit down. Let's find out. So this happened. Let's talk about what, and this is, I ask this question frequently. I'd ask people, what would you do differently if you could go back a week or what would you do differently if you could go back to yesterday morning after the event happened, whatever incident happened that was a mistake, or what would you do differently six months ago that resulted in what happened? And if people said, uh, I wouldn't do anything differently. We just got unlucky on this one. We would start to have a very long conversation because they weren't taking responsibility and they weren't even trying to think through this in a critical way of how can we avoid this in the future. But if people said, if I had to go back 24 hours, I absolutely would have done these three things. Um, I probably would have called this person before I made that decision and let them conclude what they would have done differently. And if they've learned from this and I can see that they're able to learn from it and they get that, then we're moving on because um, I'm assuming that person's made a lot of great decisions over time. Now, if I'm sitting in the office weekly talking about what you would have done 24 hours ago, and I know that I've given you a lot of clarity and um, there just seems to be bad decision-making happening or your ego is getting in the way and you're mistreating people, we're now going to start to have a more serious conversation. 
But um, there's a, it reminds me, um, there's a great book by Stanley McChrystal uh, called Team of Teams. Uh, and he was, you know, he led the, the, the forces in, um, in Iraq. And he talked about the fact that he, the army was so slow in making things happen, they couldn't fight the war there because it was just too bureaucratic. And so he invited all like the CIA, the state department into all his briefings, which are basically closed off to everyone. And he said, look, I want everyone in the room so you all can help me fight this. And I know there's going to be leaks, but I'm willing to have 99 great things happen and have one leak get out. Cause I let too many people get involved. And so if you're going to delegate, if you're going to empower people to go ahead and take care of stuff, you have to be ready for those, those situations where you're going to have to be forgiving for those. Cause everyone's going to make mistakes along the way. Um, even if you micromanage, these mistakes are still going to happen. So you might as well let it go and let people do their best work. That's kind of the way I look at it. Man, that's great. And so that deals with people that you're, that you're maybe managing or leading that make mistakes. So my last question to you is what happens when Dan makes a mistake? How does Dan, how does Dan deal with that big mistake? Um, and, and, and what's going on around him? Yeah. Well, I have a couple of, uh, a couple of good ways to approach that. One thing I discovered a while ago, it's this idea of the emperor has no clothes. Like when you're in a highly visible position, you make a mistake. Everyone knows you made the mistake and, and no one's going to say anything because why would you tell the senior person in the organization? Wow. <laughs> you really screwed that one up. So what I've learned over time is you own it, you own it. And you, uh, and, and you use a little bit of humor. And I've had a, a couple, I've had some of those moments at Disney where I should have prepared better. I should have spent more time due diligence on something. Um, I should have assigned someone uh, a different person and I paid the, and when it comes out of it, when someone says, well, you know, we got a PR issue now. Um, you know, the, uh, that Prince Harry photo showed up on the front page of the, in London of him on splash mountain. How did that photo get there? Dan, you know, true story. And you own it. You go, you know what? I take full responsibility. This park is my ship. I'm the captain and I go down with the ship. And at the end of the day, I'm going to fix it and I'm going to put the processes in place. It doesn't happen again, but the, it, the buck stops here and I'm going to own that. And people, those moments, it's easy to, you know, it's easy to explain to people why all these things happen. I learned over time, my boss doesn't care because they're, they're have to answer the question of their boss also. And I'm just like, look, this was me. I screwed this up. And whatever the consequences are, bring it. And I know that if I do that too often, I shouldn't be in that job, but you got to own that. And the other one is I share this often. My grandfather was um, in the U.S. Navy. He went to Naval Academy and was on a, retired as a rear admiral. He left me with a quote. Uh, I have it written at home. And his quote was, you do your best and then you forgive yourself. And boy, I love that quote. And everyone hears that differently. But um, it's, I've sort of adopted it in how I kind of deal with my life. You do your best and you forgive yourself. So you, you, you do everything you can. Sometimes your best is not good enough and you fail. Um, but then you forgive yourself and you don't carry that around with you. The next day you start over and you try to get better and you get rid of that shame. You get rid of that embarrassment and you move on. And uh, I think it's a great quote to make um, because a lot of people, you know, they are not good at forgiving themselves. You know, people are probably the hardest on themselves. A lot of people are. They just can't let go of stuff. And when I make a mistake, I'm like, it was a learning and that was never going to happen again. And if it happens again, it's a travesty and I'm going to make sure it doesn't. And sometimes it does. And I fall short, but once again, you, 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 uh, you do your best, forgive yourself. Dan, that is, that is awesome insight. And, you know, again, I really just want to say thank you for taking the time. Like this has been an awesome, 
this has been an awesome interview. So much, so much value, so many, I think like important things for people to really think about. And again, work on every day and whatever your business is. Right. So where can our listeners go to find out, to find your book, to find out more about you, what you're doing? Yeah. So uh, if you want to go to cockrellconsulting.com or dancockrell.com, I built the website and my wife said, uh, move over. We're going to build a really nice website. So I did dancockrell.com. She did cockrellconsulting.com. And you're going to tell it's much more stylish, but all my information's on there, our videos, everything we do, uh, my email's on there, my cell phone's on there. Uh, Valerie and I work together. We do workshops. We do keynote speeches. We just created an undergrad college course on leadership. So we're, you know, this COVID has made us very uh, creative and we're figuring out all kinds of new products and new ways to approach this, but that's where I am. And um, I also have something, an article of the week. I've been sending out an article uh, for 23 years, every Friday to at Disney, to my management team. And now it's to a big group of people. And I, I curate these articles. I find articles I think are very um, powerful and I send them out every Friday for free. So if you want to subscribe to that, you can go to the website and sign up for that. And uh, people ask me, well, you know, my managers used to say, do I, do I have to read it every week? I'm like, nope, there's no test, but you may, there may be something in there that's going to like make a difference in your life and you didn't see it. So then they started reading it. So, uh, but anyway, I wanted to be known as someone who develops people. And once again, if you want to have a reputation doing that, you got to do something. And so I've been sending these articles out. You can check it there, but cockrellconsulting.com and dancockrell.com. That's awesome. And I will put a link to those sites in the show notes as well. You can find the show notes on tomgaddis.com. Hey, we really appreciate all the listeners taking time to uh, listen to us talk about leadership and what Dan's got going on. If you guys uh, liked this episode, we'd appreciate it if you'd go over and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. You can also find the show notes, more information at tomgaddis.com. Thanks, Dan, again, for being here. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you all for listening. Stay safe out there and practice aloha, everybody. Bye. Once again, thank you so much for carving out the time to hear what was shared on today's podcast. If you found it helpful, then please share it with someone else. Just simply share the link or post it on Facebook and say, check this out. Really make my day if you did that. Also, make sure you subscribe if you haven't already so every podcast gets sent straight to you and you don't have to go searching for it. Again, my name's Tom Gaddis, and I'll see you next week on What's the Secret Podcast. Aloha for now, everyone.